But we're going to start today, and uh, I want to do a, I started on Resurrection Sunday, I started a, a series called The Truth of God's Grace. And uh, the Lord showed me that resurrection, you can't just have one Sunday and forget about it. You know, it's an everyday resurrection. Every day it's the greatest hope we've got. You know, that we're all going to live. We're never going to die. We're going to live forever. Eternal life. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in John 11. John 11 in the New King James. I'll be reading. We're going to talk about a friend of Jesus named Lazarus. How many of you know Lazarus in the Bible? I think, if, I think it has a lot to say about us more than even Lazarus. That's why I am talking about it today. But in my mind, we cannot ever conclude a Resurrection Sunday without a few more extra thoughts. <laughs> Amen? So here's what the Holy Spirit's going to tell me. But let's go to John 11, verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. We know that story all too well. But it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with the fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, you could put Jesus there, because this is just an intimate. When they say Lord, it's just intimacy. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he heard that he said, The sickness is not unto death, for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Verse 7, Then after this he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? So if you want to know how many hours of daylight you get, Jesus just told you. There's twelve hours of daylight in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, he's just talking about a spiritual condition of a person who was born again or not born again. In verse 11, he says, These things he said. And after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. So, see, God, Jesus and God's definition and thoughts about death, even this death of Lazarus in a few minutes here, is a lot different than our thoughts. He knew that even though he had passed on, he was coming back. Okay? Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Our, our friend Lazarus sleep, but I will go that I may wake him up. Verse 11 and 12, then 13. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And I am glad, he said, for your sakes, that I was not there, 
that you may believe. See, the greatest work, John 6.29, the greatest work we could ever do is believe. Just believe, believe, believe. Believe what Jesus said is true. Amen? And he says, I am glad for that, he said. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, the troublemaker, oh, excuse me, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't want to tell you what I think. (laughs) So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Say four days. How many know what a body not embalmed does in four days in the tomb? Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the woman around Mary and Martha, Martha and Mary, to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming or was on the way, went to another city and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. And now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I guess she didn't really get that Jesus was God. Huh? I don't think they really got it. I don't think they got it at all. They were not awake. They were sleeping. Even they were sleeping. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Thank you for quoting Scripture. Jesus didn't know that Scripture. You had to quote it for him. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? How many people don't believe this today? We have Christians that can't believe it. And unbelievers are even worse off because they can't believe it. We have a lot of Christians that can't believe this. When Jesus says, I just want you to believe. It's the greatest work you could ever do is just believe that what I've said is true. Just believe. Amen. And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Well, she sure didn't act like or talk like it a couple of verses ahead. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come in this calling for you. And as soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Verse 29, verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And then verse 31, Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out and followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, that's Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would have not, would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? 
And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. When you're starting to memorize Scripture, that's the first Scripture you learn to memorize. John 11:35. Jesus wept. That's where you start. Two words, one Scripture. Learned that early on in my Christian walk. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not, the, could not this man... He's not a man. He's God. Again, they don't know who He is. Who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying. What do you think is greater, to be healed of a sickness or to be dead for four days and get raised from the dead? What's going to be more powerful as a witness? Hey. Then Jesus, again groaning at Himself, came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone laid against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, Take away the stone. Here comes Martha, the lady of wisdom. Martha, the sister of Him who was dead, said to Him, Lord, I don't think you get this. By this time, there is a stench. For He's been dead four days. You think Jesus didn't know? He knew everything that was going on. He's God. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Amen? So Jesus said to her, and it's funny though, though, through the whole story, Jesus plays along. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And then He took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank You that You have heard Me. And He didn't say it quiet. He said it loud. So everybody around could hear. And I know that You always hear Me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that You sent Me. And now when He had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, to them, loose him and let him go. Or unwrap him. Get him out of those grave clothes. He needs to be freed. He said to the disciples, he said to all the people standing around, you've got a job to do. Unwrap them. He could, have, he could have just came out with nothing. I mean, oh, Jesus could have done that. But he didn't do it. And you read the rest if you want. We'll go on maybe later if we have to get there. But 45 through the end of 57, it's all about the rest that was going on there. But, but here's what I hear the Holy Spirit saying to me that He wants me to tell you today. Resurrection Sunday is certainly a truth about God's grace as well as the finished work of the cross and the finished work of Jesus and, of course, who you are in Christ as a son and daughter of God. Amen? But when I think about the story that Jesus told us in John 11 about Lazarus, I think that this story is more about us than Him. This story is more about us than Him. So let's talk about 
the Lazarus life and where we find ourselves in the story, in the narrative. When you read and you reread in the different translations this same passage, John 11, 1 through 44, you can read it in the message, you can read it in the Passion, you can read it in the NIV, you can read it in the New American Standard, any, any translation you want that speak about this man named Lazarus, you start to understand like never before how Lazarus is really a story about us and how transformation happens. Doesn't the Bible say that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind? And that we're transformed from faith to faith by that same image that we would be like the glory of God? In fact, as you read this story near the end, you find out that there can be no transformation without our lives working together because at the end, in the last verse, he said, you unwrap him. So the transformation only happens when we all work together, when we all live together, when we're a part of the body of Christ, working and living and actively together. And one of the greatest things that I've learned about transformation was this. A Christian should not be told to change and become like a child in order for things to change. A Christian should be told that they have already been changed into a son or a daughter of God, an heir of God, sharing all things with Christ. When you're born again, you get the whole package. You're just clueless. You have no idea what you got. You get a lifetime. God gives you a lifetime to discover all who God is and all who you are. And the reason many people still don't know who they are because they don't read this thing. They don't read this Bible. They only hear it sometimes on Sunday for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. And sometimes if you're in certain churches, you're lucky if you get one scripture. One. For in Christ we are helped to grow in faith about that change. But our starting point starts with what He changed in us when we were born from above. Not with what we change. Remember, He said, we didn't choose Him. He chose us. John chapter 15. And now let's go to Romans chapter 8. I love Romans 8. Oh, gosh, a great, great chapter. If I was ever to memorize a chapter, that would be the one I'd memorize. Romans 8, but I'll state what just, I'll take what John 11.35 says. Jesus wept. Got it memorized. You probably got it memorized today too, right? <laughs> Romans 8, verse 16. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are his sons. We're his daughters. I mean, a son and a daughter is a, ch a child of God. Same thing. And if ch children, it says, and if children, then heirs. <laughs> heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So everything God has is yours. Everything that Jesus has is yours. How many know that Jesus even got all that Abraham had? The book of Galatians says that. All the promises Abraham had went to Jesus, and when you're born again, it all comes to you. That's why I could say to all of you, you're full of it. You're full of the Godhead, you're full of the Son, and you're full of the Holy Spirit. you got it all. It's complete. 
Join heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. See, because only Jesus offers us a life we long for. Transformation does not come from earning love. Transformation does not come from earning love. It comes from being loved by the God of the universe. I wish I could somehow just knock on your head with a no, 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 no. God of the universe loves you every single day. And all the behavior that all the mistakes you've made, everything you've done wrong, it doesn't affect Him or His love for you ever. See, the story of Lazarus is the story of a Christian life. The resurrection life or the Lazarus life is the story of our longing for deep and lasting change. This is a story to live, but this story is more about an invitation that will prove to be like none you've ever received before. Remember, when Lazarus dies and is placed in the tomb, an invitation will surface to peer into the dark places of our own lives. The dark places that keep us buried when we long for new life. When Lazarus hears a voice, not just any voice, but the voice of Jesus, which is the voice of love, we too can learn how to listen for that same voice today when He's calling us to come forward. Come on, let's go. Come with me. Come with me. I have things to say to you. i got things to show you. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But resurrection life is about moving forward. It's about going forward in the things of God. So that has, you know, some people, I, I've known people to sit in church for 20 years still didn't get it. You've got to get it about His love for you. As Lazarus gets unraveled from his situation, we too can become unstuck from our own issues, even if it's a messy process. When Lazarus emerges from his tomb trapped in grave clothes, we can then see our grave clothes as well, such as betrayal. I believe everybody in this room at some point has been betrayed, felt betrayal. I believe everybody in this room at some point has been rejected, felt rejection. Even self-rejection, even fear, even guilt, even shame, even disappointment. And because, of these, because these are things that hold us back from renewed spiritual vigor, and when Lazarus steps into his new resurrected life, we will see a hint of life that Jesus invites for each of us today. The dangerous, rewarding, radical, scandalous, powerful grace, life of transformation is in Christ alone. No other way. Christ alone. The story of Lazarus is about longings and breakthroughs. How many want a breakthrough? How many have a longing for a breakthrough? It's about unmet expectations and disillusionment with God. It's about overcoming obstacles. It's about facing our disappointments so we can advance forward. I'll tell you the easiest thing to do with disappointment is drop the D and put an H there. Tell me what it spells. You go ahead and tell me what it spells. His appointment. It's about freedom in life. Yes, life. The life that Jesus describes when He said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, to have it more abundant life. Maybe 
Some are burned out in work or life or family or even ministry. Maybe we're tired of waiting for circumstances of our lives to change. Maybe we find ourselves buried in a tomb overwhelmed with both past and future, yet God is calling us forth to something that may be a better life than we ever dreamed. See, the resurrection and the Lazarus life offers us an opportunity to experience what we long for most. In John 2, which was eight chapters before John 11, we see Jesus transform water into wine. And then we see Jesus transform some bread and a couple of fish to feed thousands. These miracles drew people to God. But then we come here to John 11, and we leave the water and the fish and the loaves behind and transformation takes place in flesh and blood. He transformed water into wine. He transformed a couple pieces of bread and a couple of things of fish that fed thousands. But here He transforms flesh and blood. The life of an ordinary person named Lazarus and the life now stirs in us that we wish it could be us. For too many Christians today, they are unaffected by the power of God. The power of God should dazzle, dazzle us. We should be so excited that literally we think about swinging from the chandeliers. Unaltered by the promises of Jesus, today unaffected and penetrated by the work of the Holy Spirit in their personal lives because it's all about you and Jesus. And Jesus is all you need. He'll give you a life that you've never known. If you just give your heart totally to Him, surrender it, give it to Him. When you don't know what to say, just pray and cry out to Him. When you need help, you just cry and ask. See, our spiritual lives are first of all a life or it's no life at all. In Luke, let's go to Luke chapter 3. I don't know, since Luke's been coming here, I've been in Luke a lot. I don't know what that's about. I think Luke needs to, be, needs to memorize the book of Luke. He could. Luke 3, 7. I'm in the Message Bible. It says, When crowds of people came out for baptism... Because it was the popular thing to do. John exploded. Brood of snakes. What do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? I don't think he was making friends at that point. Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to deflect God's judgment? Tell me, you can't tell me he's not preaching the law. That's law. That ain't grace. He goes then, he next, the next sentence, he says, It's your life that must change, not your skin. It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as father. Being a child of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham are a dime a dozen. But God can make children from stones if He wants. What is your life? 
It is green and blossoming because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. See, the life Jesus describes in the story of Lazarus is not an improvement to our standard of living. It's not a secret to be learned or a formula to follow. The spiritual life offered by Jesus, taught us by Paul, the apostle of grace. I mean, you know, Paul was the apostle of grace. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. An experience by the early church is a life of transformation. You know, you would think that Paul would have been so popular and they would have loved him so much rather than him getting martyred for preaching and teaching everything he did. Just like the guy who translated your Bible, Tyndale, in the year 1600. They strangled him to death for interpreting the Bible. And then after he was dead, they put him on a stake and burned his body in front of everybody. It's your Bible. And we take it for granted. We take it for granted as it has no effect, no value. Do you know how many people have been transformed by reading this Bible? It is a deep down change at the DNA level of our souls. It is a life that comes only from Jesus who identifies himself as the only life we need. See, life outside the tomb is what we want. Real life, authentic life, abundant life. That's what Jesus promises. And the story of Lazarus offers each of us here today an opportunity to explore transformation that happened when we were born from above. How many have been born from above? Amen? And what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of us right now. Again, let me repeat myself. The story of Lazarus invites us into the grace truth that transformation does not begin with earning love. Transformation does not depend on our efforts to make it happen. Transformation begins when you are loved by God, the God of the universe. When you say throughout the week, Jesus, please, just love on me. It's okay. Go ahead. Love on me. Show me your love. Amen? And this is what happened to Lazarus. He was helpless in the tomb. He couldn't do anything. He was laying there, decomposing, stinking. Earthly flesh and blood can never speak that kind of deep love to our hearts. Only the voice of love, only Jesus will do. Only love transforms. Write that on the inside of your eyelids. Only love transforms. Not power, not coercion, not programs, not tips and techniques, not steps, not orders, not even a loud voice. Only love and only the love of God. See, the name Lazarus means whom God helps. How many know he needed help after being dead four days? And it was the voice of love that spoke to him. We all need Jesus. Amen? And when we find ourselves sick and tired of being sick and tired, only God's help will do. 
the same breath that filled the deflated lungs of Lazarus and brought him back to life can be spoken into you and me by God's Holy Spirit. The same sickness, the sickness of thinking we can earn God's love that brings death has the answer in Jesus. Amen? And so this tightly bound, mummified Lazarus emerges with only one thing that matters, and the only thing that really counts is life. Sheer, unbridled, and resurrected life. And it's finally His. And because I believe that we are all Lazarus, it can be ours too. I I believe that. When we allow ourselves to enter this story, we too can experience not just good ideas about how we can be transformed by God, but we too can experience true transformation. Romans 2, 4, the message. Somebody's phone's ringing. (laughs) Romans 2, verse 4. It says, God is kind, but He's not soft. In kindness, He takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into radical life change. And I mean radical. He's kind, but He's not soft. He takes us by the hand, firmly by the hand, and leads us to radical life change. And I mean radical And you might be going through a circumstance in your life that you don't like, but hey, God's in it. He's changing you. And so now we are all seeing that this story that Jesus told about Lazarus really applies to us as well. Lazarus teaches us that authentic transformation is possible not only for himself, but for us, the ones who need it now. Amen? How many know that Lazarus lived and died already? But we're still here. And resurrection was just two Sundays ago. And this is the kind of change John the Baptist spoke about when he said in Luke 3.8 in the Message Bible, it's your life that must change, not your skin. The New Testament wild man, John the Baptist, goes on to say and tell us that God's Spirit will come within, within Luke 3.16. Read it in the Message He will transform you within, changing you from the inside out. Amen? Apostle Paul, the Apostle of the Great, tells us, For I consider, in Romans 8.18, the New King James, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare compared with the glory which He shall be revealed in us. He's talking about now. Talking about COVID and everything else that's going on in this crazy nuts world. The Bible says in the book of Timothy, we're going to live in perilous times. If you're reading your Bible, you'd get it. In the moment, we don't see this glory. It's something that shall be or will be. Right now, we only see our predicament. The dilemmas we face consume us. Being fired, being abused, being treated unjustly, being lonely, being sick being a modern-day Mary or Martha or Lazarus. But something else is at work. Someone else is working in, the, in, the, in between times. 
waiting on Jesus is not a passive act. Waiting on Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit within us. As we wait, we relinquish control. Waiting will take it out of your hands. Surrender our wills, give up our false hopes, and realize that if anything is going to happen at all, it will have to be God's doing. In the book of Lamentations, I love that book. Did you know that? Did I like that book? How did you know? <laughs> Lamentations, chapter 3. Is that it? I think I circled that one. That's it. Verse 28. 3.28. When life is heavy and hard to take, go off by yourselves. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Don't talk to your friends. And they give you all their little advice that's worthless. Because they ain't talking about Jesus. They're just talking about following the media and the government and all the other idiots out there. Wait for hope to appear. Don't run from trouble. Don't run from trouble. Take it full face. The worst is never the worst. I think that's some pretty good advice. Enter the silence. Bow in prayer. Don't ask questions. Wait for hope to appear. See, when life is heavy and hard to take, do what it says right there. See, the silence of waiting seems futile to our carnal minds. Yet as we will see, something happens while we wait that cannot happen at any other time. Lazarus had no choice. He was waiting for the voice of love. He was waiting for the voice of Jesus. How many times were Mary and Martha and all the Jews standing outside the tomb before Jesus got there and saying, oh, I wish He'd come back. I wish He was still alive. Their voices were being said things. They were saying things. But that wasn't the voice that was needed. And through waiting, we become more aware of God and ourselves. Through waiting, we become curious about what is happening within us. Through waiting, our transformation is accomplished because God does what we cannot. And what I've learned about God through many years, I know, I have known Him, is He's never in a hurry. If He wants to be late, Four days for Lazarus? It's not a problem. But Mary, Martha, and all the Jews who are weeping with her, they have a problem. See, we find that here in this story too, on that hot day in Bethany when Lazarus died, no plea from the begging sisters or concerned disciples could move Jesus to operate in the human timetable. Come now! Hurry up! He's dying! Come now! Jesus said, relax. He's just sleeping. 
taking a nap. He's not going to die. He just died, but he's not dying. He's coming back. Everyone had to wait for the Kairos moment. Because Kronos didn't make it in this, in this event. And until that moment, Jesus would linger. Lazarus would grow weaker and die. And the grieving sisters would cry for their loss. And we, like Mary and Martha, have in mind the time when Jesus should arrive. See, we think we know when it's best for God to arrive. Our fast-moving world shapes not only our culture, but also our beliefs about how God should work. We find it hard to understand that transformation is a slow process. Slow process. Slow. Later today, when you get some time, write this down, turn your Bible, read Jeremiah 18 about the potter forming the clay on the wheel. The potter shapes the clay until it is transformed into the desired image. And if there's a spot on it, it goes back to the wheel. Nobody likes going back to the wheel. It's not a fast process. It's not meant to be. It's intentional, deliberate, and purposeful. And it may, at times, to us, look impossible. You think Mary and Martha and the Jews who were weeping at the tomb had any idea that Lazarus was coming back? I think they were startled when Jesus said, Take away the stone. The potter, like Jesus, knows about Kairos. In the end, we see a masterpiece being done. Ephesians 2.10 in the New Living Translation says, We are His masterpiece. In the New King James, it says, We are His workmanship. I like masterpiece better, by the way. Because the potter waited for just the right time. Transformation is slow. Not because God does not love us, but because God has a greater purpose in mind that we just don't see or understand. Has it occurred to you that God wants you to be transformed even more than you do? If Jesus is the only one who can satisfy us, what do we do when Jesus fails to show up? We do what everybody else does. We kick, cry, beat the, beat the ground, call our friends and have a party so they can tell you all the stupidest stuff you ever heard in your life. That doesn't make any sense and doesn't answer any of your questions. It only brings more confusion. See, Jesus, through it all, comforted the sisters with the truth and the truth set the sisters free from their illusions. See, the truth is that Jesus redefined life as they knew it. And we know it too. Illusions we create in our own minds breed false hope and false life. Embracing the truth offers us freedom and true life. And here lies the invitation for each of us to live the Lazarus life. Embracing what is the core of the transformed life. The Jesus who lingers 
helps us work through our disillusionments and discover more about the love of God, the character of God. He, he just loves you so much. I can't tell you how much He loves you. Why don't you just let Him love you? Why do you resist? Just let Him. You don't have to confess all your sins a hundred thousand times to Him. He knows. Just do it once. You're free. Don't get clogged up in religious thinking. It's ironic that the times when God seems most absent can be the times when we get to know Him even better. We can read in Romans 5.5 5 that says, Hope does not disappoint us. And our desperate hearts cry out to the lingering Jesus and we wonder what kind of hope that could be. We're going to close real soon, so soon. I don't know where Luke is, but are you here, Luke? Oh, no, he's not there. <laughs> our desperate hearts cry out to the lingering Jesus and we wonder what kind of hope that could be. It's in these moments that God is birthing a new hope in us. He's, he's, he's today. I, every day I wake up and I get in my Bible and I get in the morning and I just study and I pray. And sometimes I just sit there in silence say nothing. And He affirms my heart. He cares about my heart. And He births new hope in us. A hope who He is, not a hope in what we want Him to be. It's a life, long journey to understand that who God is will not disappoint us. God will not disappoint you. Do you hear me? God will not disappoint you. Glory is brooding and God's glory is about to be unleashed in you and the world around you and through you. I'm telling you, you read that Bible, it'll tell you in Psalm 91, you're totally protected. If you just abide under the shadow of His wings, stay in Him, in His presence. But you have, see, you have competing voices out here that say, let me protect you. Oh no, oh no, you ain't protecting me out here. God is protecting me. He's my protector. He's my Savior. He's the one that gets all the glory. Amen? He's the one that can raise the dead. Amen? If I die and He wants to raise me up from the dead, He'll have one of His sons or daughters show up and speak that word. He shall live and not die. I've seen the dead come back to life. I've seen it. I've experienced the death of people and seen them come back to life. God is able. When it's impossible, God is able to make all things possible. Amen? And so every time I think about Lazarus from now on, I'm going to think about you. Because his life is our life. But we can't earn His love. And it's love that transforms us. We have to let Him love us. We have to surrender to Him and let Him love us. Let Him be in charge of our lives. Amen? He wants to tell you every day how much He loves you. Just let Him. Sometimes you just need to unplug from all the craziness of this world. 
owns everything. Just get get alone. Like I, Lamentations 3, the Message Bible. Go to a silent place. Amen. And pray. And just listen. Sometimes you don't have to say anything and God will talk to you. You don't have to say a word. Just let Him talk. He might, only, he might only give you one word, but that one word could change your whole life forever. I like one word. More than whole sentences are big paragraphs. I used to, I used to, you know, we used to years ago, you have these prophetic people come in and they'd be prophesying over us and somebody would be there standing next to you with a little recorder so that you could remember the thousand things they said. And I said, Lord, I don't want a thousand things. I want one word. And so that's what he gives me in my life. One word. And that's my desire. I want one word. Because I can live on one word from God. You can walk on, you know, we can walk on water with one word. Amen.